Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, my question for you this morning is this. Have you, you know, usually when you ask someone or do you ever ask someone, obviously we always do, it's how we greet each other in America. How are you doing, right? How are you doing? And the answers are usually like, oh, I'm doing okay, all right, you know, or maybe someone will be really honest and say, well, I'm not doing that well, and then you kind of launch into conversation. But there's this phrase that has been going around for the last couple of years that people like to use to where it's becoming a little overused, but it's still okay, where you ask someone how they're doing, and they say, oh, you know, I'm just living the dream, right? I'm living the dream. I'm going to start asking people when they say that to me, are you really living the dream? Because we know that, you know, usually when we say that, we're doing something that we don't want to do, right? (laughs) We just say, oh, living the dream. And uh, we all kind of laugh about it, and that really becomes the joke, right? But the question is, are we really living the dream? Are we? Did some research on the internets, right? Because the internet always tells the truth, never lies. And uh, the internet told me that according to a recent Harris Interactive survey, 45% of people that were surveyed in their jobs and in their career paths were happy with where they were at, which means that there was 55% of workers that were not happy and satisfied with where they were at. And that same survey also found that only 20% of people that actually go to their jobs are passionate about what they do, which means there's 80% of our workforce that is not passionate about what they do, and they're not exactly satisfied with what they get to do day in and day out. And you might be saying to me, well, what's the problem with that? I mean, not everybody gets to do what they want. Not everybody gets to live out their dream. I mean, some of us, we need a little bit of safety. You know, there's a little bit of comfort and security in a in a 401k, and there's security in a pension. So what's wrong with trading maybe some of the passions that we had for a little bit of safety and security? And my answer would be everything. Everything is wrong with that scenario. And do you want to know why? Because as believers, Jesus told us in John 10.10, he said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come, this is Jesus talking, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to its absolute fullest. So if you have traded in your passion for some safety, some comfort, and some security, everything is wrong with that picture. Why? Because you are missing out on everything that Jesus has to offer you. You're missing out on adventure. You're missing out on excitement. You're missing out on God's provision and God's miraculous uh, uh, things that he wants to do in your life because you've decided to trade it for something that's easy and that's a little bit more comfortable. That's a little bit harsh, Pastor Jared. I'm sorry if it's a little bit harsh, but that's where it's at. Now, does that mean you're not going to go to heaven? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But it means that you're going to miss out on one of the best parts of Christianity. It was important to Jesus that he came not to just give us life, but to give it to us to the full. He said, I have come. That was one of the reasons that he came to this earth. So why should we trade it away for something else? If it was so important that Jesus said it's one of my purposes for being here, then why should we trade it away, right? Why shouldn't we actually live the dream? If Jesus came to give us a fullest, then we need to be working and going after that dream, I believe, with our whole, whole heart. Now, when Jesus said this, he didn't say, for I have come that they may have life and have it to the most comfortable, I have come that they may have life and have the most pleasure in this life. No, that's not what he said. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He didn't offer comfort. He didn't offer pleasure. He offered fulfillment. There's a big difference between those things. 
He offered fulfillment. I know of some missionaries who are incredibly fulfilled in their lives, living in incredibly uncomfortable situations where they don't get to do the things that they want to do, but they're absolutely loving their life, and they wouldn't trade it for anything. So don't ever think that comfort, pleasure, and fulfillment are the same thing because they're not, but fulfillment is so much better because that's our purpose that fulfills us, that, that makes us the best of who we can be. And why do I say that? It's because when you go back into the Old Testament and you start looking at these people, and I started thinking about this as I was preparing this message and thinking about this idea of really dreaming and living your dream, like, is that really that important? Well, I went back to Adam and Eve, all the way back to the beginning of time, the first couple that we meet. And I thought to myself, did they have a dream? <laughs> Absolutely. God gave them a dream, right? God said, I want you to go forth and multiply and fill this earth, right? Seven billion people later, good job, Adam and Eve, you did it. <laughs> all right, way to go. They filled the earth. That was their dream that God gave them. God gave them a dream. Let's go further in the, in the uh, Old Testament to the next major character that we meet, Noah. Did God give Noah a dream? Yeah. He said, build an ark, right? He said, build a tremendously humongous boat. And, uh, I want you, and the dream was so that he could save his family and he could save the animals of the earth from a flood. It took him a long time, but he did it, saved all the animals. And now we get to have a museum in Kentucky that we can go and look at his ark, Right? If you've ever been there, it's a really cool place to go and, and to see, but, and, and, it's, and to see the ark actually laid out in the dimensions that God gave Noah is pretty impressive. But God gave Noah a dream. What about the next character that we look at? The next major character was Abraham. God said, God gave him a dream. He said, there will be a nation of people that come from your family. There will be a nation that comes from you. And so he gave him this dream of, of a nation. He said, the people of your nation will be greater than the sands on the seashore. You won't even be able to count them. There will be so many of them. Then Abraham's great-grandson, a little ways down the line, Joseph, was given a literal dream. God came to him in his dreams and showed him that he was going to save his family, that he was going to rule over people, that he was going to save people, and he did it. So it is part of who God is to give us dreams. It is important that those dreams define those characters in the Bible. That's what made them worthy to talk about because they pursued those dreams. If Adam and Eve wouldn't have multiplied, we wouldn't really have read that much about them. If Noah wouldn't have built the ark, we probably wouldn't have read that much about them. Dreams are important to God. It's not just an optional part of Christianity. It's something that he's calling us and asking us all to do. And whether you know it or not, it's not just the great characters of the Bible that God had dreams for. God has a dream and a plan and a purpose for every single life that's represented in this room and online this morning. God has something for you. It's no coincidence that you've been given gifts, abilities, talents, and passions. There's a reason for that because God has an intended purpose for those things. I want to take a look real quick at Proverbs 29:18. And I want to give you really a picture of of this, of this verse and, and how it fits into this idea that God really wants us to dream. It says this, where there is no vision, the word there for vision is chazon, chazon. If you want to ever clear your throat, just speak Hebrew. It's very good for that. Where there is no vision, or the word chazon, which also means prophetic revelation. Where there is no prophetic revelation, we can go on to the next verse, the people are unrestrained. Okay, what that word means in the Hebrew, it's this idea of animals, okay, because obviously they were like in a, a, 
agricultural society, and they didn't have really cool tractors like we do now. They had to rely on animals to help with their farm work. And so this idea of unrestrained is like, you know, when they had to plow a field, they would have to get, you know, whether it was horses or donkeys, mules or oxen, they would have to get these animals, and then they would have to uh, harness their power in order to plow their fields. And so they would have to hook them up to restraints. They would have to hook them up to harnesses in order for them to do the plowing, right? That was how they did it. So they would be restrained, and they would have a, a place to go, and they would have a purpose, and they would be very, very productive when that happened. I mean, think of what a, a draft horse or a mule or an oxen can do for a farmer. It can multiply that farmer's efforts by five or ten times. It could do things that the farmer couldn't even ever do, and so it was an incredibly productive animal. But if you take those restraints away, if you take those harnesses away, and you let the animal do whatever the animal wants to do, they wouldn't be productive. They would probably destructive, right? They would probably just go eat or go to the neighbor's house and bother them and eat their food. And, you know, that's what they would do. But if they're restrained, then they're productive. So the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. If you go to the next verse, if we put that together, it would say something like this. Where there is no prophetic revelation or God-given dream, the people are aimless and unproductive. That's the PJV. That's the Pastor Jared version, okay? <laughs> that's just how, that's how we put it together. Where there's no prophetic revelation, where there's no God-given dream, the people are aimless and unproductive. Where there is no... Dreams put us in a, in a place where we're productive. Dreams put us in a place where we're not just wandering around aimlessly because there's a lot of Christians that just, Pastor Barry calls it pinballing through life, where you just kind of go where whatever takes us. But God has a purpose that's going to make us productive. God has an intended plan that's going to put us down a path that's going to make us the best that we can absolutely be for him. So if you're not pursuing God's plan for your life, you are absolutely missing out. And I've kind of already said of that. Some of the biggest benefits of Christianity come when we really find our God-given intended purpose to live. So if you really want to live the dream this morning and learn what it means to really live the dream then let's take a journey this morning. We're going to learn from a story that's found in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. Chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to start. There's a character that we're introduced to in these passages. But before I talk about this character, I want to give you a little bit of background about what's going on. You see, this is a time and place. This is Egypt is where the location is. And uh, the timing of this is when the Israelite nation had come to Egypt. They had been there for 400 years in Egypt. They came because there was a famine in their land and they didn't have any food. But the guy we talked about before, Joseph, made a way uh, where he stored up a lot of food in the land of Egypt. And uh, his family was able to come down and to live in Egypt. The Pharaoh was very uh, kind to them and gave them a, a land to live that was adjacent to Egypt called Goshen. And they thrived and they multiplied over the years. But what happened was that Pharaoh had died and the, there had been no record of Joseph and his family. And so this, these people that were here in Goshen, they multiplied and they had so many children, they became large and, and they became a, started to become this, this huge people and they called them the Hebrews. And the Pharaoh was worried that the Hebrews were going to overflow or uh, revolt against Egypt and take them out. And so what they did in order to thin out the numbers because they kept multiplying at these and having a lot of kids and their birth rate was huge. The Pharaoh said, every child who is, every male child that's born to the Hebrews needs to be thrown into the Nile and murdered. So they did. So that's what, exactly what they did. And so this is where we start the story found in chapter 2, okay? 
Oh, and so I, I should mention this too before we start. So you have 400 years of, the, the, the people eventually became slaves. I forgot to mention that. They became slaves, and they, they weren't like just bond servant slaves. They were, this was hard labor. They were forced to make bricks. They were forced to do hard labor. They had no freedom. They had whips at their backs. It was the worst form of slavery that they encountered. And in that time, they cried out for God to deliver them. They cried out for God to send a deliverer so that they could have freedom and that they could have peace again. And so now with that background, let's look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 and 2a. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. The woman's name, it doesn't tell us in this passage, but we know later that this woman's name is Jacobed. Her boy or her baby that she had was a baby boy named Moses. Many of us are familiar with the story, but we're really going to talk about what, uh, what this meant. I mean, essentially what Jacobed did was she gave birth to Moses, who was going to be the one who delivered the Israelites into freedom, delivered them out of bondage, delivered them into, out of captivity. He became, he was the answer to probably millions of prayers. He was the dream. She birthed a dream Not only her dream, but the dream of an entire nation was birthed in her son, Moses. So what can we learn from Jacobed about how to live the dream? Well, the first thing is that dreams are birthed. Dreams are birthed. Not only dreams are birthed, but we know that birth is an overflow of intimacy, right? And uh, I don't want to take you back to sixth grade health class this morning. Um, we, I think we all understand how people are born and how babies are born. If you don't understand how babies are born, I'll get a, uh, Pastor Donnie to set up an appointment with you, and he can take you through that. And he's got this really cool pop-up book. It's very interesting, and you can <laughs> know where that came from. Um, but he'll talk to you about it. He'd be gra- glad to do that for you. But we know that, you know, when a husband and wife are together, there's, there's an intimacy that's created, and the fruit of that intimacy is a child or is a birth that happens in that intimacy. Likewise, when we spend time with an intimate time connecting with God one-on-one, heart-to-heart, in prayer, in reading the word, in meditating on him and allowing him to be a part of our lives, when we spend time intimately with the Lord, he will birth the dream in our heart. And that's how we get the dream in our heart. I was thinking about this and thinking about some examples of this, and there's a a biblical example of Peter, and he was on the roof. This is uh, shortly after the church had started. Peter was up on the roof. God gave him this vision because Peter was in prayer. It was in the afternoon, and Peter went up on the rooftop to be by himself so he could pray because he'd seen Jesus do that so many times. Jesus would just go away by himself, and he'd pray where there's no distractions. It's a good lesson for us. But anyway, Peter went up on the roof. He had this vision. And uh, as he's having this vision, it was a vision he didn't quite understand. I'm not going to go into all the meaning of it, but suffice it to say, he didn't really understand this vision. As he was up there, there was two men that came to his house who were Roman soldiers. And they came to get Peter because they said, our "Our master, Cornelius, who was a Roman official, sent us to go get this guy Peter because in a vision, uh, God had told him that he should go seek this guy Peter. Now, the crazy thing is this. The crazy thing is, up until that time that Peter, Peter, and I should tell you, Peter went with these men to Cornelius' house. But up until that time, the gospel of salvation was relegated just to the Jewish community. And the Jews had always known this because God had always dealt pretty much exclusively with the Jews. Now, there was times that he didn't, and God's plan was always to go beyond the Jews, but up until this time, for thousands of years, God had always dealt exclusively with the Jews. In fact, he told them in his laws, separate yourself, keep yourself separate 
from the other nations. And so they were very inclusive in their religion. They were very inclusive, and, and that carried over into Christianity. So that day when God told Peter, he said, Peter, I want you to go to this guy Cornelius' house. And essentially, God showed him through that process, he wanted him to preach the gospel to him. Now, this guy Cornelius was a Roman. He was what we call a Gentile, which was not a Jew. So God put a dream in Peter's heart that, that was, was going to blow the Jewish community wide open because God said, I'm ready to take this message from one community to the entire world. And that day, the Gentiles heard the gospel, and Cornelius was the first person to hear him. And why did that happen? Because Peter was spending time in intimacy with the Lord. And when he did, God dropped a dream into his heart that said, this message is no longer just for the Jews, it's for everybody. There's a man by the name of David Wilkerson, and some of you probably know this story better than I do, but uh, he was a pastor in a uh, little community in the Northeast of the United States. And he was in a season of life where recently God had been convicting him because at night he had some free time and he would usually spend this, as a lot of us do, uh, watching TV, and at that time it was Johnny Carson, you know, back in the day, and, and God had convicted him, and, and so he ended up selling his TV, and he set that time at night aside to just spend time with the Lord. It was prayer time. It was time of worship. It was time to just him and God, and shortly after he did that, there was an article that was open on his desk. I think it was like in a magazine or Newsweek or something, and it had the picture of four boys who were gang members who were on trial for murder, and this article went on to talk about the gang problem and the gang infestation in New York City. Well, long story short, he prayed about it. God told him to go to these boys, even though he's just some, you know, white guy from rural uh, New York or wherever he was at at the time in Massachusetts or something, and um, he went to New York City, and, and like I said, long story short, uh, through a series of miraculous circumstances that God put together, he launched a ministry called Teen Challenge, which we know very well today, and has helped hundreds of thousands of men and women find addiction, or freedom from addiction and life-controlling issues from drugs and alcohol, and launches them into ministry and shows them who Jesus is, and it's incredible. But why did that happen? It happened because he decided to spend time in intimacy with the Lord, and when he did, God birthed something in him. God birthed a dream in his heart. Spending time connecting with God is essential to the dreaming process. Essential to the dreaming process. Because I know that there's some of you out there that you're, you're just stuck. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what God's dream is for my life. Well, my question is, are you seeking that? Are you taking time to spend time with him intentionally? Are you, you know, we are at men's breakfast yesterday and Joe was speaking. And he talked about fasting for three days because he really felt like God was speaking something to him, and he really wanted to know what it was, and so he fasted. I mean, when's the last time you fasted over what God has for you? God wants to give you his dream for your life, but you've got to spend time with him in order to get it. You have to cultivate that relationship in your life. Because if we don't, here's the other thing that happens. We just try to, do, we just try to dream. Uh, we just take off after our own dreams. You know what I mean? Like there's God's dreams and there's our dreams. And, and if we're left to our own devices, our dream, the American dream, we try to make it God's dream. And then when it doesn't work, we try to blame God for it. But it doesn't work that way. Because when we dream, we dream about things that we think are good for us. And we think are, again, comfortable and pleasurable for us. And so, you know, we play these games like, I don't know, maybe you entertain this, this idea or do you ever play this game or ask yourself this question, what would I do with a million dollars? And then you start thinking, okay, I'd pay off my house. And okay, then I, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And you start, you ever do that? Like I ask myself that question, what would I do with a million dollars? And lately it's been, oh, I'd probably, you know, get a tank of gas is probably what I do lately, right? 
Maybe two. Maybe two. Till next week. But we do these things, right? We, we fantasize sometimes. We think about money. We think about our own dreams and, and the things that we want to do. And those things aren't necessarily always bad, but we want God's dreams for our life because those are the ones that are going to fulfill us. Because we know a lot of people that have ran after their dreams and are completely unfulfilled and are more miserable now that they've obtained what they wanted than they were beforehand. So it's not about our dreams. It's about finding the dream that God has for us. And that can only come from him. A dream is really just an invitation for you to be God's business partner because he's got ideas, he's got plans, he knows what he wants to do. You just got to find out what he wants for your life and go after it. Acts 2.17 says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. This is part of that, actually part of that sermon that we talked about on Pentecost. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. It's in God's heart to pour his spirit on us so that we'll see visions, so that we'll have dreams. Even the older people have dreams. God wants to pour dreams into them because how you know sometimes when you get older, you kind of just, you know, you've kind of lived your life and you've kind of done dreaming. Well, God's not done with you at any age. He's got dreams and ideas and plans and purposes and passions for you no matter how old you are. Well, let's go back to Jacob. Now that we know how dreams are birthed, Exodus 2, 2b says this. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. For three months, Jacobed kept Moses hidden. She kept him fed. She kept his diapers changed. She took care of his emotional needs. She nurtured Moses for three months. How many of you know that nurturing a baby is not an easy, easy task? Because here's the deal. There's some of us who, you know, and, and there's certain personality types, and I fall into this category where it's very easy for us to, you know, once God's birthed the dream in us, okay, Lord, that's great. Now I'm just going to sit back and wait for it to happen, you know? I'm going to wait back. I'm going to wait and just wait for you to drop that dream right in my lap, fully realized. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to step into it. Well, you know what? It doesn't necessarily work that way. How many of you know that when a baby comes home, it's work? right? You can't just bring a baby home from the hospital, throw a pizza at the baby and say, okay, you're good to go, right? You've got to feed the baby. You've got to change the baby. You've got to play with the baby. You have to get up in the middle of the night to feed the baby. You have to try to figure out what's wrong when they're sick, and you have to get the medicine, and it's not an easy task. It is not a comfortable task. You sacrifice sleep. You sacrifice having to do the things that you want to do when you have a baby that you're trying to nurture, and it's the same with the dream. You can't just, just sit there and wait for the dream to fully realize to, be, to just land in your lap and just walk into it. There's a part that is our part to do. You know, if you think back into uh, Moses, when Moses was ready and God found him, he said, you need to go to Pharaoh. Like, he didn't say, just sit in the desert, I'm going to bring all the people to you and they're going to be delivered. He said, you got to go to Pharaoh. Well, why was that such a big deal? Well, Pharaoh, not only was he the leader of a nation, he was the leader of the superpower of that time. That nation was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Their military was number one. Uh, the Pharaoh had a lot of power. His man, not only that, Pharaoh was to the Egyptian people was a god. So it didn't matter. He could say anything he wanted to, and your life is gone in an instant if you said the wrong thing. So Moses had to go to Pharaoh. That was not a comfortable thing to do. Now Moses was in, uh, he was in the desert at this time. He was herding sheep. He was living his best life. He was 80 some years old. It would have been easy for him to just stay there and just, you know, live out the rest of his days in comfort, you know, in ease, in a life that he was used to. But God said, go, go to Pharaoh, do the uncomfortable thing. It's no wonder that Moses sat and argued with him 
back and forth with God until God finally said, go, you need to go. And so he went, but he had to do something. David had to collect stones before he went up against Goliath. He didn't just show up to the battle and Goliath fell over. David had to go get stones. And think about this, a little tiny teenage boy. He was a teenager at the time, teenage shepherd boy. Goes up against a man who was probably about 12 foot tall. 12 foot tall, a warrior with a lot of weapons. And he had to step in the ring with him before God stepped in and did what God does. But he had to prepare himself, right? He had to be ready for that. The Israelites had to march around the city of Jericho seven times, or, or, or seven days. And then seven times on the seventh day, they had to do something. They couldn't just sit in their camp and the walls fell in and then they could just go in and take the city. They had to do something. You have to prepare yourself. What's God calling you to? What dream has he birthed in your heart? Because if he's birthed a dream in your heart, you might have to prepare yourself. You might have to read a book. You might have to take a class. You might have to position yourself financially so that you can be ready when the next step is, is when it's time. Maybe you have to pay down some debt. Maybe you have to save up some money. Maybe you have to just position yourself so that when God says go, you're ready to go. You know, one of the things that we talk about when we're talking to people in the church about marriage, we talk about things like, you know, here's what you need to look for in a spouse, and you should, you know, write down a list of all the things that you want in your spouse, but we rarely ask the question to those who are seeking marriage, what are you doing to prepare yourself for marriage? What are you doing to make yourself the best husband or wife you could be right now? Have you taken care of the issues in your life that are going to hold you back when you get married? Are you the person that you want to be? Are you the person that you'd like to marry if you were going to marry you? You know, these are questions that we have to ask. How do we prepare ourselves for that dream. Take the next step, whatever that is. Maybe you know what the next step is, maybe you don't. Take that next step. Prepare, get ready for the dream because God wants to take you there. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says this. So be careful of how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. What do the wise do? They make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. As God gives you opportunities, don't just sit back Step into those opportunities. Prepare for what he has for you because if he has something for you, you're going to have to do your part as well. <clears throat> so we know the dream is birth. We know that dream needs to be nurtured. What else can Jacobed teach us? I'm going to give you the same verse, Exodus 2, 2b. She saw he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Why was it that she kept him hidden for three months? Well, we know the answer, right? I told you because they were seeking to kill him. He was a Hebrew boy, so he should have been one of those that was thrown into the Nile River, but she kept him in her house, and uh, she compromised her own safety to keep Moses safe. It doesn't matter how gifted or motivated you become to accomplish the dream that God placed in your heart, there's always going to be people that are going to try to kill your dream. There's going to be people that try to attack your dream, because when you get to the place where you're ready, you start making preparation, you start making plans, God's birthed a dream in your heart, you start stepping out, all of a sudden you're going to get attacked. And you know what's the crazy thing about this? Is generally speaking, those attacks come from the people that are closest to you. They come from well-intentioned people with, who probably have good intentions for your future and for your life, but they're out of, whether it's out of concern or whether it's uh, that your dream causes them to be more uncomfortable. Maybe your dream moves, means moving far away, and they like having a relationship with you. They like having you around, and so, you know, they start questioning you. You know, is this really a good idea? Have you really thought through it? Have you really counted the cost? And yet, it's, they're motivated by their own uncomfortableness because you're going to be moving somewhere where they can't see you or they can't be with you. 
They're going to ask you questions, and they're going to, you know, whether it's out of concern, whether it's out of jealousy, whatever it is, you're going to have dream killers. It happens every single time. But can I tell you something that's awesome? Is that if you have a dream, and you're moving towards it, and you have people that are coming against you and dream killing it, you're in good company. Let me give you a couple examples. In 1902, the poetry editor of the Atlantic Monthly returned a stack of poems with this note. Our magazine has no room for your vigorous verse. The poet was Robert Frost. In 1905, the University of Bern turned down a doctoral dissertation as irrelevant and fanciful. The writer, Albert Einstein. 1894, there's an English teacher that noted on a teenager's report card, he has a conspicuous lack of success. That teenager was Winston Churchill. Dr. Seuss was turned down by 27 publishers to print his first book, which eventually sold 6 million copies. Elvis was kicked out of his church choir because the choir director told him he couldn't sing. Beethoven's teacher called him hopeless as a composer. One of Thomas Edison's teachers said he was unable to think clearly and was confused. We can't always listen to all the criticism, can we? We can't always listen to those people that want to come against us and attack our dreams. Matthew 7, 6 says this. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and they'll turn and attack you. Every time you want to post something on social media in a comment about something you don't like, you should have this verse go through your mind. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and turn and attack you. Has anyone ever had that happen to them on social media? Okay, I've been there. I stopped posting. I said, forget it. What is this verse telling us about when it comes to dreams? Well, it's telling us this, that sometimes it's not worth throwing truth to people who don't understand truth. This is specifically talking, this verse is about non-Christians, and so it's, it's a good lesson for us as Christians that if we throw truth to non-Christians that, uh, that they don't understand, they're just going to trample it and attack us, and it's not worth our time, honestly. However, when it comes to dream, I think the same principle is true. You don't need to continue to tell your dream to someone who doesn't get it. You don't need to continue to tell your dream to people who are just going to sit there and attack it. You don't need to throw the truth of the prophetic revelation that God has given you to people that don't get it. Just keep it to yourself and keep moving forward. That's what you need to worry about. Now, I, I do want to make a disclaimer here too. I, I don't want you to use this as a license to um, not listen to valid concern and valid wisdom from people that love you, okay? If there's people that love you, you should listen to their concerns, you should listen to their, their uh, wisdom, and you should take it, and you should take it to heart and learn what you can from them. So I'm not saying that, you know, I, you just throw everybody to the wind because you have a dream that God gave you. I'm saying you should listen to those people, but at the same time, don't let anyone kill your dreams. All right, so we know that dreams are birth. We know that dreams need to be protected. We know that they need to be nurtured. Exodus 2.3. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds and along the banks of the Nile River. Dreams need to be returned. Almost sounds a little bit contradictory, doesn't it? Because I told you, you need, to, you need to really work at it and you need to really do your part. So there's two parts. There's the part that we can do and the part that God can do. And for some of us, it's really, really easy for us because of our personality. I said there's one personality type that wants the dream to just be realized and drop into their laps. Well, there's also another uh, personality type that is the type A personality, the choleric personality, the type six Enneagram, is that right? The choleric personality? No? Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't know the Enneagram thing. 
Eight, eight, thank you. The type eight Enneagram, if you're into that, they're the ones who are the goers, the pushers, that I'm gonna get it done and I'm gonna bowl everybody over until I get this thing to happen, okay? So God drops dream in their heart and boom, they're off to the races. Well, that's not necessarily healthy either because there's the part that we can do and the part that God can do. Whenever you try to do something in your own might and you try to, try to realize God's dream in your own power, it never works out. We can go through the Bible and we can see example after example after example of people that tried to, do, tried to make God's dream come about with their own power and it never ever happened and it never worked well. And I'll just give you one, I'll, I'll give you one quick, uh, or actually two quick examples. Abraham, who we talked about before that God said, he gave him a dream and he said, I want you to be, I mean, you're going to be a nation. Well, Abraham finds himself at like 100 years old and, and Sarah's 90 years old and God says, you're going to have a child because, well, obviously the nation's got to come from somewhere, right? And again, if you don't know how that works, Pastor Donnie's available and we'll set up an appointment with you. But here we find Abraham and we find Sarah and God says, you're going to have a child. And um, after years, decades, Abraham and Sarah find themselves childless and they're like, what the heck? And so Abraham and Sarah decide to take matters into their own hands and say, we need to make this thing happen. And so Sarah says, here, why don't you sleep with my servant, and then we can have a child through her and build a family through her, right? Sounds like a great idea? Not so much. There was a boy that was, that was born out of that union named Ishmael, and uh, then later, eight or so years down the road, or four, yeah, about eight years down the road, there's another baby that was born through Abraham and Sarah named Isaac. So you have these two boys, Ishmael and Isaac, and uh, they do not get along, and there's a lot of jealousy, as you can imagine, and uh, what happens is Ishmael ends up getting sent away, and Isaac becomes kind of the child of promise. Now, there are today in our world two nations. There's the Jewish nation, and there's the Muslims. Well, the, the Muslim, not really a nation, but a people, two peoples, I should say. There's the Jewish people and the Muslim people, and obviously we know that they do not get along to this day. That all happened because Abraham tried to realize God's dream in his own power. That has ramifications, real-world ramifications today. Wars are fought because Abraham tried to do things in his own power and realize God's dream in his own power. Don't try to realize God's dream in your own power. Moses is another example of this. Moses, he, he, he must have understood at some point in his adult life that he was going to deliver the people of Israel. Like God had burned that passion in his heart, I think, because he, he went out to the Hebrew people one day and he saw an Egyptian who was beating on a Hebrew, a Hebrew and when nobody was looking, Moses murdered him. He murdered the Egyptian, tried to cover it up by burying him in the sand, and uh, the Israelites knew about it, and so they called Moses out. Eventually, Pharaoh found out about it, tried to have him killed. All because Moses was trying to realize God's dream in his own power. He didn't let God be God, and he didn't let God do what he wanted to. God's dreams are meant to be unobtainable without him. God's dreams were meant to be unobtainable because God uses dreams, and he uses that process as a way to build our character and to teach us how to be close to him. They weren't meant to be able to attach on our own, otherwise God could just say, here you go, and just... Let it happen. But they were meant to be unobtainable. Learning to depend on him is as much the destination as the fulfillment of the dream itself. So if you're in a place of spinning, if God's birthed this thing in you, this dream, and you just feel like you're spinning your wheels as you're going for this dream, maybe it's time to stop. Maybe it's time to give that dream back to God and let him do what only he could do. Think of what would have happened if Jacobed would have tried to keep that dream for herself. What if she would have tried to keep Moses? 
then he never would have been found. And you maybe don't know the rest of the story. Moses was found in the river by Pharaoh's daughter when she went down to bathe after Jacob had put him in the river. And uh, he ended up being placed. I mean, check this out. God, God put the promise of deliverance in the house of the enemy. He literally grew up in Pharaoh's house. The, the problem was Pharaoh. God put the promise right there in the middle of his house. Jacobed could have never done that on her own strength. She could have never made that happen. Only God. Only God could have made those circumstances what they were. But Jacobed had to let go first. So if you're in this room today and God's given you a dream, you've birthed it, and you're going 100 miles an hour trying to make it happen, and nothing's happening, and you feel like you're spinning wheels, stop and let God be God. Give it to him. Give it up to him. Let him do what he wants to do with it, and he'll bring it back to you. Uh, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. It's talking about God. God's able to do immeasurably, like without measure, without measure, he can do more than all that we can ask. And I can imagine a lot of stuff. God can do more than we can ask, more than we can imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, that power that he's placed within us by the Holy Spirit. He can make more happen with that, immeasurably more than we can even imagine and think. Jacobed probably in her wildest dreams never thought that Moses would end up in the house of Pharaoh growing up with the best education and with the best of the best of the nation. In fact, the best of the best of the world because like I said, their nation was on top of the world at that time. Jacobed probably couldn't, never could have imagined that. But God did. God had it all planned out. So after uh, Jacobed had given birth to a dream, nurtured the dream, protected the dream, and gave the dream back to God, he fulfilled the dream Here's the cool part of the story. I talked to you about it a little bit. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the, the water side. One of her servants found baby Moses and brought baby to Pharaoh's daughter. She had compassion on, on, on Moses and said, this must be one of the Hebrews. Um, Moses' sister was nearby, and she came up to Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, could, um, would you like me to have one of the Hebrews take care of the baby for you until the baby's ready to be weaned and, and join you? And she said, yes, that's a great idea. So Moses was given back to Jacobed, And not only that, she paid Jacobed to take care of Moses until he was ready to be raised in Pharaoh's house. Isn't that incredible? The fulfillment of a dream. Not only the fulfillment of a dream, but God provided for her something that she wanted to do more than anything in the world already. God can take that dream full circle. He will take that dream full circle when that fulfillment comes, that provision comes with it, and you're living in the land of blessing more than you could think or you can imagine. But it takes a few steps. And maybe today you're in one of these places that I talked about. Maybe you're living in the land of unfulfillment and you need to just get with the Lord so that he can drop a dream in your heart because you're just kind of doing life and you're just kind of pinballing through life and you don't really have a direction. And you're not excited when you wake up in the morning. You're not passionate about getting up and going to do whatever God. And I'm not just talking about work. I'm talking about whatever situation in life you're in. Are you passionate about when you wake up in the morning and do what you do? Maybe you need to do your part and feed the dream and not just sit around waiting for something to fall into your lap, but you need to go after it this morning. Maybe you've allowed people to kill your dream and you got stuck because you set out and you were doing well and then all of a sudden people started firing all these questions at you and they started firing all these, you know, quote unquote reality checks to you and then you just gave up on your dream. Well, maybe you need to pick it back up and run with it again. Or maybe you're that person that's been running full speed towards your dream, but you're getting nowhere. And you need to give that dream back to God and let him work. 
I know I've taken some time this morning. I've really tried to break down this process of a dream. And really, this sermon probably could have been a series um, that, we could have done, that I could have done for four weeks with each one of these points being, a, um, being what it is. But this morning, I really did feel like God dropped this in my heart because, man, if we're not living out God's dreams, we're missing out on such a big chunk of our purpose. And we're missing out on the, the fulfillment and the fun and the excitement and the adventure that is the Christian life. There should be no such thing as a boring Christian. As a Christian, I, you know, I think from time to time, like, I have no idea where I'll be next year. Because God could say to me next week, you need to pick up and move to Pittsburgh. Why Pittsburgh? I don't know. It's the first thing that came to my mind. But God could tell you, you need to go. You need to drop it. You need to move. God showed up to Abraham one day and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this land. He didn't, he didn't, tell, him, he didn't tell him what he was going to do when he got there. He didn't tell him. Abraham didn't even know who God was at that time. But he got up and he moved. That's adventure. And it's worthy of being written about in the word of God. So I want you to live that dream. I want you to live those lives. I, don't, I want you to find everything that God has for you. I want you to suck out the marrow of this experience that we have here on earth because eternity doesn't just start once you die. Eternity starts as soon as you meet Jesus Christ. And your dreams while you're on this earth are part of that eternity. And I want you to step into them and I want you to catch them because it's an awesome life when you do. Let me pray for you today. Father God, I want to thank you for each and every individual in this room. Lord, I want to thank you for those that are watching so faithfully online this morning. God, I pray that, number one, you drop dreams into everybody's heart. Lord, if, if they're not, Lord, drop them into their heart. God, give them the courage to set out in that path, even though it might be uncomfortable for them. Lord, help them to leave that land of comfort, to walk to their dream. God, I pray, God, that you would uh, help them to put on the armor that you've given us so that we can defeat the enemies of the, uh, the, the arrows of the evil one that would want to come in and kill those dreams that you've placed in our heart. Lord, give us the faith that allows you to just be you, that allows us, Father, to give that to you so that you can do what you want with it. Lord, I thank you, God, that you give us dreams. I thank you give us purpose. God, I thank you that we are productive for your kingdom when we do. And so, Lord, I pray that you download that dream into everybody in this place today. And God, that you'll give them your Holy Spirit and give them the, the wisdom that they need to guide them where they need to be so that we can be the most exciting people on earth because we're following you and we're living that fulfilled life that you talk about. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.